When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good afternoon, and welcome in once again to the QB11 show presented by Scoop Duck. Uh, I'm joined as always, of course, by QB11 as well as Justin Hopkins. QB, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing this morning? Living the dream like always. Well, yeah, so obviously a lot of news flying around here with signing day coming up on Wednesday. Here we are Monday afternoon, about less than 48 hours out. Obviously the biggest news today, which I, you know, I think we've all seen coming now for a few days at least, is the Dante Moore flip uh, away from Oregon to, to UCLA. So obviously that's the first place to start. I know a lot of people are talking about that on Scoop Duck and online and on Twitter and everywhere else. So, um, you know, QB, you want to start and weigh in on, on your thoughts on that one? And then and we'll go to Justin after that. Yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of, I mean, here's the deal. I totally understand being upset about it. It's a real kick in the balls to lose your five-star quarterback, um, top guy that's ever committed to us at the position in regards to ranking two days before signing day. Um, and that it's not going to feel any better no matter what happens. But, uh, yeah, it's just it's tough. When you lose your, your coordinator who's been the primary recruiter who had like a four- to five-year relationship with the guy a couple weeks before signing day, it opens the door for other teams that have been working on building a similar relationship for a long time to come in. And um, I've seen a lot of hand wringing. I've seen a lot of, uh, a lot of people upset and everyone kind of deals with these things in different ways. They have different, like they want some people want to blame NIL. Some people want to blame uh, coaching changes. Some people want to blame the, the UCLA going to the big 10. And ultimately I think it ends up being kind of a mixture of, of everything that I just said um, with, with these types of decisions. And so um, what Oregon does here to pivot away. I mean, Oregon also got great news yesterday with Bo Nix formally announcing kind of what we had expected now for a couple of weeks that he'd be returning to Oregon for his final year. So um, it's not like you were in a position where this was a kid you were counting on for this coming season, uh, but he was a guy that you were looking to develop and build around for the future post the Bo Nix era. So um, depending on how Oregon's able to pivot and if they're able to sign somebody, um, this class or go get a transfer with with more eligibility to bring in and develop within the system it's going to be really important for we're going to kind of work on the succession plan now um moving forward into the second signing period yeah i think uh you know to your point uh, a lot of fans uh particularly when something bad happens once want an answer or rather i should say almost demands an answer and wants to pinpoint it on any what what went wrong what one thing went wrong you know, with Dante Moore, it wasn't one thing. It was, you know, like you mentioned, it was the fact that, you know, the offensive coordinator that he built the strongest relationship with in the country, you know, went and took another job, a head coaching job, albeit so good for him. Um, and just, you know, so many little factors there that, that go into it. I think originally the other element to it, which we all expected, okay, everyone, anybody who says otherwise, just lying. Okay, Bo Nix even said it himself. He 
originally planned to come to, to Eugene, to Oregon, to play one season and move on to the NFL. You know, obviously things changed during the course of the season. Maybe it was, you know, again, probably not one factor here, but maybe his draft stock didn't go as high. He really enjoyed this season, decided he would like to come back and play with this team again. Uh, that obviously had a big impact with Dante Moore, who was expected to come in. And like you said, kind of secede Bo Nix, who's again going to return. And and I know, I, I'm pretty sure the three of us feel that way, but there's uh, Dante Moore's a great player. This is a loss, no question. He might have a great career at UCLA. This isn't, we didn't want him anyways, but there's no question you're better suited in 2023 with Bo Nix returning uh, if you're Oregon. So, um, you know, the Ducks got fortunate that that is the case. Unfortunately, this is a byproduct of that. And uh, that's just kind of how college football works at, at this point anymore, especially at quarterback. Yeah. yeah so go, go, ahead, go ahead, Doug. I was just going to kind of follow up question. So if you got a more, go, go for it. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, like, I think it's natural to human nature to, to want to pinpoint it and be like, be able to like wash your hands of it by saying, well, it was NIL or well, it was daily leaving. And I think that it's just understanding that these are really fluid situations with a lot of factors that play into them. Um, it doesn't give you the clean, like you don't have one person to blame. And I've, I've seen some people blaming Stein. Like the guy's been on the job for less than three weeks. Like he, he did his, he did everything he could, but without an official visit, without being able to get Dante on campus, I, I mean, I'm not really sure what he was supposed to do with the resources, uh, available to him and to keep, to keep that, to keep that commitment. So, uh, would definitely caution people to not write off coach Stein um, this early because of, of a commitment that was really built by somebody else. Uh, yeah. Blaming Stein is, I'm sorry. That's just an absurdly stupid take, to be honest. Like he literally was hired two weeks ago today. So, uh, and, and he didn't come with three to four years of history recruiting and, and building a relationship with Dante Moore. So it's absurd. Uh, it's absolutely absurd. I, I think there's a lot of all the things you guys talked about are factor into play here, and, and probably some things we didn't we didn't even talk about too. So, you know, these these I as soon as uh, as Kenny Dillingham left, I mean, this was certainly something that became a much more distinct possibility, and it seems like um, Dan Landing and and Marshall and the coaching staff. And obviously with Will Stein coming on board, they, they have other options. They're looking at whether that means, you know, high school recruiting, transfer portal recruiting. I, I think the good news, and we can talk a little bit more in depth about Bo later in this podcast, but the good news for Oregon with getting Bo back in the fold is this is a problem you don't have to solve in the next two days before signing day. You have time. You have time in the portal. You have time in the 24 class, like there's, there's time and options available uh, to figure out who your 2024 starter is going to be. Um, and so I think that's, that's the silver lining in, in all of this. So, you know, kind of moving on to that, I mean, is there, is there other player, other players out there, whether we're talking about in the portal or high school or 2024 class that Oregon fans should be looking out for? Well, I think uh, I'll go first real quick, but you know, I, I think a couple things, um, you know, I think quarterback recruiting specifically is vastly different than it was even three or four years ago. I mean, it's it's the most uh, it's the there it's the most plentiful position in the transfer portal. 
you know, meaning there are a lot of really good options that have jumped in the transfer portal last year and again this year. So I don't see that trend changing. Additionally, there's also a lot of options that jump in there that are multi-year uh, transfers available there. Uh, you know, for example, Bo Nix ending up being uh, a two-year transfer versus a one. I'll throw the obvious name out there that Duck fans have mentioned, Hudson Cards in there, a lot of ties with Will Stein, uh, you know, multi-year guy that could come in and, and maybe – you know, give you a couple years behind Bo Nix. I do trust that Dan Lanning has a plan. Um, I do trust that this is something they started working on a couple weeks ago, not a couple days ago. Um, the other part and and something that we can look at maybe after Wednesday is, you know, realistically, it it is really hard anymore to sign back-to-back elite quarterbacks at the prep level in recruiting. So if you, if you're Oregon and you go and sign Dante Moore uh, in this class, which we, we know is not going to happen, but uh, you go and sign Dante Moore, it's great to have him. That's awesome. You hope he's the guy, but it makes your job in 2024 of getting a elite or top ranked quarterback signed incredibly hard. So depending on what plays out in the coming days, maybe this opens the door you know, for open for Oregon to pursue those top 2024 guys now, where they really, um, I don't want to say they didn't have a chance, but it was going to, going to be incredibly difficult. So, silver lining to everything, you know, definitely a bummer to lose more, but there's uh, some positives as well. I think it's important that we acknowledge the negatives. Like the biggest problem with this loss is that you, if with Nick's coming back, if you were able to hold on to more the succession plan was very clean um, and you were going to be in a position where you weren't being counting on a true freshman or a guy that had zero experience in the system to come in and take over when more eventually does move on. Right. And so losing more, the, the damage of losing more is that now your succession plan is less clean. You're not going to have as good of a feel for what your future quarterback looks like at the end of this season, just based on, on having him on campus, the familiarity with the scheme and the coaching staff. So that I think to me, um, other than the fact that Moore is an incredibly talented player uh, and he's going to a, a conference opponent, the the biggest issue now is that whoever you bring in um, is likely going to be having to learn the offense and step into a starting role at the same time. Yeah, that would definitely be a concern. You know, with if you brought in a guy, you know, 2024, you know, late in the cycle. So obviously, you know, the best thing would be if you could get somebody, whether that be a portal kid or a high school kid, if you get somebody in this cycle or in the spring and have them here for a year would certainly be more ideal. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it should be an attractive offense, right? Like from a systematic standpoint, I think that Stein brings a lot of good things to the table. I don't think it's going to be like a wholesale change as we talked about last week. Um, But bringing, like you're going to be surrounded by a ton of talent. Like Oregon still looks to be signing uh, Ashton Cozart and Jury on Dickey. They just brought in Treshawn Holden. There was already good players on campus and, and that have substantial eligibility remaining. And guys like Kyler Casper. Um, there, there's no shortage of weapons to throw the ball to. Uh, and so I, I don't think that this is going to be a tough position to fill. It's just a matter of making sure you you have to hit it this time because you're you're in a position where it's kind of do or die on the on the quarterback recruiting in 24. Yeah, no, I I, I just uh, the other thing about this is, and and I know I talked about it briefly on the site, which doesn't mean everybody listening 
uh, Reddit is just that, you know, one of the things that attracted Dan Lanning to Will Stein as the hire is the fact that um, you're going to be able to keep the offense largely the same. A lot of the verbiage would be the same. Um, and I think those were incredibly attractive elements to keeping Bo Nix. So I'm not saying it was a trade-off, but it kind of was a trade-off. You lost your relationship guy uh, with Dillingham, and he, you know, he got a head coaching job. It's not like he moved laterally. He moved up the ladder, which is the goal. So, uh, you know, great for him. So, you know, if you're Dan Lanning, next best thing you could do is go bring in a guy that says, hey, look, I'll work with the offensive assistants that are already there uh, and keep a lot of the, the, you know, the base offense in play and the verbiage. Uh, and that really shrinks your pool. So I think Oregon did well there. I think those were key parts that kept Bo Nix coming back. And again, at the end of the day, um, there there is no more important player to Oregon football than Bo Nix right now, right? I mean, that guy comes back in 2023, helps you, you know, win at a high level. There's nobody else you could say that about uh, really either recruiting or on the team. He's the guy. So um, I think Dan Lanning knew that and prioritized that. And it, it really goes to show that it's probably going to end up being the best long-term move for Oregon. I agree. So moving on to non-quarterback uh, rated recruiting, you know, the good news I think for Oregon fans here is, is, you know, everybody else uh, seems pretty locked in, right? We've seen Dante Dell Dell shut his recruitment down, you know, or last week and, and reaffirm he's locked in with Oregon. Uh, Ashton Kozar was, has been big on this out jury on Dickey, like all of Oregon's commits. Uh, Sadiq, another one, has been out there. Like all these guys are locked in. They're all saying, saying everything, um, everything they should be saying out there. It doesn't appear that there's going to be any domino effect here from from Dante Moore's decommitment. So, I think that's that's real positive for Oregon. Amari Washington is another one. Um, so, any you know, let maybe maybe just kind of run down some of these names and and that we're looking to see sign on Wednesday here. Obviously, I, I mentioned some of the highlights there. Uh, I'll go ahead and go first and, and keep it kind of brief, as brief as I can. Uh, it's a great class. And even with the loss of Dante Moore currently, um, it hasn't changed the status of the class for Oregon in terms of rankings, at least with on three, uh, you know, on three does, does do the rankings a little bit differently than 24 seven, instead of it being a cumulative, uh, it's more of kind of a weighted average. So, um, at least there's that, but it's pretty obvious. A lot of the names that you mentioned, Doug, uh, right off top, Jurion Dickey, five-star. That's a guy you had to hang on to. Wide receiver that's going to come in, um, you know, has had basically all of the top schools continue to recruit him. Um, you know, you get him signed and maybe get him to school early. That's a guy that's an instant impact type of a player. Uh, Kenyon Sadiq, the tight end that you mentioned, um, I think his signing becomes very big because with the obvious loss of Maliki Matavau, Good player, tough to lose him, but a guy like Sadiq comes in with his physical skill set, um, could fit in really well and be dynamic in that offense. And the room is really crowded, but you gotta love what Dante Dowdell brings to the table. That's a kind of a bruising back and a guy that I think uh, you know, Oregon fans are excited about. Might be tough for him to get too many touches uh this first season, but you've got to be excited at what looks like kind of you know, maybe Oregon's best combination of of speed and power back that they've had in a while. Um, so really excited about him. And and I, I 
the defensive line class that Oregon's put together, I believe has been the best one they've they've ever assembled. I think top to bottom, um, there's a wide range of guys that can do different things. There's good talent. There's developmental guys with upside. Um, there's a little bit of speed in there to, to get after the pass, uh, the, uh, the pass or the quarterback. So I really love the defensive line group they were able to put together and might not be done, you know, putting all the way together at this point. Yeah. Um, you're going to have a better idea of kind of where things sit from an actual recruiting standpoint, but, um, and I, and I know we're, we're planning to record on signing day and go over all these players in detail more and kind of break down the class after everyone's signed. And we can actually like kind of put a bow on who's going to be an Oregon duck next year. But, um, I think it, it's probably important that we mention Caleb Presley. Um, it seems unlikely that he's going to be sticking with his Oregon commitment at this point. Would you agree with that, Justin? Yeah, no, I, I, you know, obviously the big, uh, you know, on Sunday again, I, I kind of, was it Monday? What's the, I don't remember what day it is. Anyways. Yeah. On Sunday, I believe I kind of went in and ripped off the bandaid there and, you know, it, there'd been enough chatter and, and enough to kind of really know that Dante Moore wasn't going to stick with the ducks. And, and so, you know, I went and put in a, a pretty big prediction, you know, him flipping the UCLA kind of just, Hey, let's, this, this is what, this is going to happen. Just let this go. Uh, and, and did the same with Caleb Presley. Looks like that, uh, you know, he, he he's just kind of maybe feeling the fact that he could stay closer to home. I know Washington made a big push there. Um, you know, if you're, I guess, as you're hearing this podcast, if you've read the juice, I, I've put a couple other names in there that I think are going to really kind of soften that blow, if you will. Uh, you know, Oregon's not done at defensive back recruiting. And I think they've got some guys that, you know, Solomon Davis being one of them uh, recently visited Stanford. I've got an update there. I still think the Ducks sit in a great position. Um, ha- also had an update on Dalen Austin, who this isn't, we didn't want Caleb Presley anyways, but Dalen Austin is a guy that I believe both you and I QB have been higher on from day one anyways, you know, his upside and ability. So um, that's another uh, prospect that could kind of help soften that blow there outside of Caleb Presley and Dante Moore. Uh, things are looking really good with the guys that are committed and things are looking really good that everybody that is committed out of the prep level, I will say, uh, will sign with Oregon on Wednesday. They do have the three transfers committed. Uh, no problems there right now. And, and all three should probably likely sign on Wednesday as well. But um, yeah, from the from the prep level, it looks like um, it, it looks like if you factor out those two losses and we're assuming Dante Moore and Caleb Presley sign with other schools. Uh, those are the only Duke decommitments that um, Dan Lanning has had in this cycle. So you, uh, they're still losses, but you have to consider that overall a success for, for Dan Lanning and his staff because uh, decommitments are something that you that we've seen a lot more of uh, in previous years. Yeah, I know yeah. that um, you know Washington has been putting a lot of uh, the full court press on Presley now for you know, gosh, probably a month or more. Uh, at least a month that I've known about, but probably even more going back. And I'm sure they never stopped recruiting him at all. But you know, I kind of look at that recruitment, and I've been saying this, you know, I think to QQB and and to you know some of our Washington friends for a while now is like, I think Presley is a commit that Washington needed to get way more than Oregon did. And I'm again not saying we don't want him out. Anyway, absolutely, Caleb Presley is a great prospect, and I would love to have him in our class. But Washington needed him. They desperately needed to parlay their their ten and two season and their success into a big recruiting win on the trail, and and he was really the only the only prospect on their board that they had a chance to to really do that with. And and everything I've seen and heard from that side of the world is that they have 
really gone all in on, you know, similar to the way that UCLA and Chip has have done with Dante Moore. Like Washington has done everything in their power to flip Presley, and I think between between all of those efforts, him being, you know, from there, growing up a, a fan of UW, and obviously their success and beating us this year, I think all of that, you know, paid off for them in the end. So, uh, but again, I think I think it's a guy they had to have, and and I think Oregon didn't necessarily had have to have Don, uh, a Caleb Presley in that same kind of way. Yeah, I agree 100%. I just think it's a situation where um, Oregon's got flexibility at the cornerback position. They've got they've got Cole Martin in the class. They're recruiting Roger Pleasant. They're recruiting Dylan Austin. They're recruiting Solomon Davis, all of which are really high-end cornerback prospects. Um, and, I, and I think that, I mean, Justin could allude to this more than myself, but I think that Oregon's probably feeling like they're in a pretty good spot for at least two of those three, if not all three of those corner prospects. And so losing Presley is a, is a loss in the sense that you don't want to, you don't ever want to lose a good player to a rival. Um, but it's, it's a more uh, like you can, you can, you can go in for a landing with no problems there as long as you close on some of the other prospects at that position. Cause like that is a, a certain position of value for Oregon in this class. Yeah. I mean, you know, let's, let's, let's be fair and, and let's call a spade a spade, right? Dante Moore is obviously the bigger blow of the two. It's a lot harder to go sign a, a five-star, you know, prep quarterback than it is a, a four-star, you know, like top 200 level cornerback, um, you know, in any class. So again, no disrespect to either player, no disrespect to Kayla Presley, but, you know, to your guys' points, uh, yeah, Washington definitely really needed him in this class. UCLA really needed Dante Moore in this class. Um, it doesn't mean that Oregon didn't, but I, I do feel pretty confident in Dan Lanning's ability to what we'll say is pivot and still make uh, something positive happen out of both those scenarios. It's just going to take a little bit time for those to come to fruition, but uh, that doesn't seem to be where fans excel anymore is in the patience category. So we'll just have to see if, if they can hold on for that 48 hours. Yeah, and I, I think pivot's the right word. With more, it's not a pivot. Like that's like you're not replacing more with a, a similar, like the same quality of player, no matter where where you go and who you get. Like unless you're getting, uh, unless you're getting a Nico, which obviously isn't happening. He's already on campus at Tennessee or Malachi Nelson or or, or someone of that caliber. Like you're not you're not upgrading with when you lose more. And he's also playing the most position, the most important position in the sport. With a player like Presley, like I think you you said it, we've had these conversations for months and months and months. Like I, Dalen Austin, Roger Pleasant, Solomon Davis, those are all better prospects, and so I'm I'm not gonna lose sleep over losing a cornerback commit, but I will absolutely lose sleep over losing um, one of the better quarterbacks that the, that the program has ever had committed. That's just not not something that you're gonna be able to spin. Um, but again, it. You don't know what the opportunity cost of losing Dante Moore is until you see what the what the replacement is. And so, well, let's uh, I will absolutely give the benefit of the doubt to Dan Lanning and the staff um, and see what they can come up with here as we approach signing day and maybe even what they can find in the portal. So do you want to talk a little bit about Bo Nix coming back? Yeah, let's talk about that. That's uh, that's big and great news. I I don't think so. It's funny because if you go back a year ago, and I think this kind of goes to the point that Justin was just making in regards to having patience. About a year ago, Kenny Dillingham and staff are getting are kind of coming into place. Bo Nix hits the portal, and I believe it was like early January is when Nix announces his transfer to to Oregon. 
Um, and really, it was met with a lot of skepticism, even some criticism of the staff. Like, what, what are you doing? Ty Thompson is clearly going to be the guy. He's a former high, really high four-star recruit. And then all Bo Nix does is come in and play as well as any quarterback not named Marcus Mariota that Oregon's had in the last 20 years. Um, led the offense at, at an extraordinary pace. Was a top five offense when he was healthy. And really just like they carried the team this year and he was a massive part of that uh, with his legs, with his arm and kind of coming into the season. Like they weren't shy about saying that this was a one year plan. Like they were going to come here for a year and then they were going to be moving to the NFL. And I think that changed. And I think that's a credit to Dan Lanning and the culture that's being built um, in that locker room. I think it's a credit to the Oregon fan base and just the, the program as a whole. I think it's a special place, and you don't really know how special it is until you're there. And I, and I would assume, and I'm, I'm projecting here a little bit, that Nick's and his his now wife um, were probably taken by surprise by just how engaged the Oregon fan base is, how awesome of a place Eugene is, and I and I think that they probably like kind of started to think maybe after five or six months that it might be the better option to come back and play at Oregon for another year. If it meant that there was an opportunity to improve your draft, your draft stock um, and go out and maybe a little bit thinner of a quarterback class in 2024. So uh, huge, huge pickup. This really puts Oregon in a position now to be a contender for the PAC 12 and, and for a playoff spot in 2023. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll let you go in a second here, Justin. Um, or Oregon is a better team with Bo Nix in 2023 than they would have been with Dante Moore in 2023. I, I don't think there's any debate on that. Um, he's he's a five-year starter. He's played a ton of college football. Um, obviously, at Oregon this year, he was a Heisman contender until he got hurt. I mean, he had really played his way into that top five to seven people in consideration those last few weeks before he got injured. Um, he's coming back to a loaded offense um, with uh, even more weapons coming in. So I, 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 I think the sky's the limit for the Oregon offense next season, just like it was this year. Uh, with Bonix coming back, like they, they really shouldn't miss a beat, and he's going to get to add some really good weapons around him with some of the guys we've talked about coming in in this um, in this recruiting class, as well as obviously um, Holden coming over from Alabama at wide receiver as well. So and, and maybe some other guys who might be joining down the road. So I, I'm really excited about him coming back. I think that definitely upgrades Oregon's prospects for the 2023 season. Bo Nix, yeah. Um, you know, there's really nothing else to be said about Bo Nix coming back. It's it's obviously a huge win uh, for Oregon. It's going to help Dan Lanning and his coaches, uh, you know, keep that current offensive class committed and signing on Wednesday. Uh, and, and here's the other thing, you know, a lot can be said about Bo Nix. It's great, obviously. But I've mentioned this, and I think both, I think all of us, we even mentioned on the pod, there's going to be another wave of kids that enter the transfer portal in the coming weeks. Okay. There's going to be uh, players that leave Oregon once the bowl game has concluded. You'll see guys decide, you know, to end their transfer portal for various reasons and vice versa. As some of these bigger bowl games get played with, you know, the likes of Ohio State and Alabama and Georgia, and you go down the list of the top schools, they're going to have uh, additional players enter the transfer portal. Um, for those respected schools. So having the ability to say, hey, look, our quarterback's returning next year. Uh, you know, he was 
under Heisman consideration as, at various points of the season because of the season he had uh, and was putting together, you're going to then be able to go and get a lot of the of the better offensive uh, transfers in the transfer portal. And I think that's something that's of extreme value. You don't, it's, it's a lot harder to make that sell saying, Hey, we, we signed a five-star quarterback, but he's a freshman, never played a snap. You know what I mean? You go and say, Hey, look, this guy's five-year starter, proven winner played in, at, at a really high level last year. Um, you know, so again, that's going to end up probably paying off dividends as well via the transfer portal, because I don't think Oregon's done yet in the transfer portal. And I, I know there's some immediate names we could talk about, but I think there's names that we, that haven't even jumped in the portal yet that, that Oregon will be aggressive going after. So, Yeah, I agree. I think that the selling point now, and I think that uh, I would assume that there's been indications made to transfer portal targets prior, um, but the indication now with Nick's coming back is Oregon's ready to win now. So let's go do this thing. And so I think it creates more momentum and gives you a little bit more to sell um, with like maybe maybe shorter term transfer portal targets, guys that have one year of eligibility remaining, or maybe one and done guys from an NFL standpoint. Um, and so I think that this is really big for that because while there's a recruiting dead period for high school uh, recruits that lasts deep into January, uh, transfer portal guys can take visits basically right after Christmas again. So uh, once we get into early January, portal guys are allowed to come back on campus. And I, I think you'd probably agree with me, Justin, that, that Oregon is looking to get it, probably one more transfer wide receiver, uh, one or two transfer offensive linemen. Uh, and, and I think that the pitch now is bolstered and strengthened by Bonix's return. 100%. I mean, it makes it makes every one of those position coaches on offense, their job's easier to say, hey, look, our guy's coming back. And by the way, he was really good. Um, and, I, and I think you have a lot to sell. Overall, if we just even kind of take a look by position group on offense, is quarterback position good? Yeah, it's, it's a good position group, but it doesn't have the depth that it maybe needs. So you can maybe build on that. Who knows? Running back room, Really strong, looking good. Got a guy coming in, got guys returning right there. Wide receiver, same thing. Got some guys coming in, got guys returning. Really strong there. Tight end, same situation. Offensive line needs a little bit of work. So maybe you say, hey, look, offensive line, we, we gave up very few sacks last year because our quarterback was mobile because of the offense we ran. You're going to look really good this season. Uh, maybe that makes Adrian Clem's job a little bit easier. So, yeah, I think you're, you're going to stay active in the transfer portal. Um, I think you need to find, you know, we've talked about this, but you need to find help um, at, at offensive line, specifically uh, at edge players, if any actually jump in the portal and probably maybe just a little bit more help in the secondary as well. Yeah, I think uh, a player that you mentioned in your transfer portal update last week is that that I watched this weekend um, quite a bit as a player, Jalen Catalan from Arkansas. That's a player that I'd really like to see Oregon get heavily involved with uh, once once the dead period lifts and, and he's free to start taking visits again. Uh, we, we saw obviously um, Byers and um, uh, Byers and Angelau on campus for Oregon on the offensive line this last weekend, uh, the weekend prior, they hosted a Johnny Cornelius who's making a decision on Wednesday. Uh, it seems that there's, there's certainly some, some guys that are pretty clear targets for Adrian Clem in the offensive line room. Um, how, how do you feel about where Oregon stands with those offensive line transfers? Um, you know, I think that, 
let's it's a very fluid situation let's put it this way but i think the two that i want to hit that i think at least for the sake of the pod people want to focus on uh ajani cornelius i know that you know that's a guy that you're really high on qb uh, i know that that's a guy that the recruiting services are really high on uh in terms of just being a guy that can contribute right away um, he's, he's seasoned, he's developed, he's got, he's, he's still got high upside. Uh, he's a guy that could be a, you know, a plug and play early rounder, uh, type of potential. So I think that's the one that you want to pay attention to. Good news is he's announcing on Wednesday. So, you know, duck fans will know in just a couple of days, if that's a guy that they're going to end up with or not, um, Tennessee, Nebraska, and Ohio state are the other three in his recruitment. I think I think Nebraska's the biggest threat at the moment. I, I, I can't quite tell, but I guess at the very least, I do know that Oregon um, feels as though they have a legitimate shot there. Uh, the other one that you mentioned as well that I think Duck fans should pay close attention to is is Texas transfer uh, Junior Engelau, uh, formerly out of uh, Utah. I just think that that's a guy that that Oregon really likes for a lot of reasons. Can play, you know, pretty much all over the offensive line if needed. Uh, but one of the things that I'd, I'd heard or th- that I'd kind of read about that really resonated uh, with me with him is the fact that uh, he's a proven leader. He was a two-time offensive captain at Texas. So no slouch of a program, a lot of big, big personalities there. And it says a lot about his leadership. And I think that, I think that Bo Nix is a great leader with this offense. But I think if you can really have that guy on the offensive line that isn't afraid to make sure everybody's toeing the line and doing what they're supposed to do and 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 really playing uh really good football and practicing hard i think it says a lot and i think that there's some value to what junior angelau could bring to the program so those those are two right now uh that i think oregon fans should pay close attention to at offensive line in the transfer portal yeah and that kind of lines up with my film study of the guys that we've seen oregon target and visit i think that the they they bring the most obvious value, especially in the short term. Um, again, as you look to build around Bo Nix and, and maybe plug some gaps with some experienced guys leaving the program and there being kind of a gap in regards to experience between the the younger uh, incoming freshmen and guys that were on campus that redshirted this past year uh, and the more seasons, seasoned upperclassmen that you would like to have um, kind of throughout your offensive line. So makes a lot of sense in a lot of different ways. Also, I like the fact that both of those guys are one and done, which means that you, all of this prep recruiting that you're doing, and I think that Oregon's done a good job of identifying offensive linemen um, since Adrian Clem's been on been on board. Uh, th- those guys will have opportunities to compete for jobs in short order um, and not, not have to worry about getting jumped by guys with multiple years of eligibility remaining. Because I got a feeling we'll have a little bit to discuss later this week with a uh signing day just a couple days out but uh but no i mean i i just uh maybe in short for me a, a slight uh qb 11 ish monologue just seems to be a lot of doom and gloom out there uh, on twitter on the message boards and i understand that that that's part of a fanatical response right you you always want your program uh signing the best guys never missing on a guy winning every game blowing out your rivals all those things i totally get it um, I, I think it really this time of year, it, it's always really important to just kind of take that step back, maybe look at the overall state of the program, uh, maybe look at, okay, here's areas, that, uh, here's something I posted on Scoop Duck, you know, is that this recruiting cycle, in my opinion, this recruiting cycle and this season was ultimately the floor 
of Dan Lanning's career, right? As Oregon head coach, this is, this is floor level. He's going to make mistakes. It was his first year. Uh, he's really just kind of developing his relationships with, with folks out West on a consistent basis. That's only going to get better as they stay out here longer and sign more dudes at various programs. Um, you lost to Oregon state and Washington, which are bad losses. I don't, I don't discredit that one bit. You got to think he's going to learn from those mistakes and what forced those losses. If this season that Oregon has had in year one of Dan Lanning, first head coaching job he's ever had, is his floor uh, in recruiting and on the field, I think you've got to be pretty excited. He does have to continue learn and grow. He strikes me as a guy that will do that. But you know, I think I think it's important for fans to kind of let some of these immediate emotions go uh, and really you know, just kind of look at the big picture and the direction of the program. Uh, and additionally, last thought for me on that. This was a, I'll just say it, this was a tremendous year for the Pac-12 conference. You had really good football. You had really good quarterbacks. You had some exciting games. I think you had, uh, you know, some of the better top half quality in the conference that you've had in a long time versus it just being Oregon and everybody else way behind them or you know, USC and everybody else way behind them or, or whatever it's been for seemingly the last decade. Y you have really good parity at the top of this conference. Uh, I think that we're going to see that a lot of these schools can go in and compete, you know, in the bowl season with a lot of other conferences. Um, so my point is, it's not like the, it's not like Dan Lanning showed up and caught the conference by storm because it was weak. He came in when the, the conference was strong. USC rebounded very strongly under Lincoln Riley. Washington rebounded really well under Kalen DeBoer. You saw a resurgence down at Arizona. Jonathan Smith at Oregon State did a terrific job with that team this season. Um, you know, I, I just think that he did a really good job in a really good conference. And I do think that fans, I know they're always going to knee-jerk react, but probably should maybe pump the brakes just a little bit from some of the stuff we've been reading. Yeah, and you didn't even mention Utah, the the uh, two-time uh, Pac-12 champions. And I think, too, that the thing is, like, this conference isn't going to get any easier next year either. I mean, Washington's bringing all their guys back. USC's bringing all their guys back. Oregon's bringing all their guys back. Uh, you know, on the offensive side of the ball particularly, which is where this conference was so strong. Uh, you know, and I think Utah's not going to go away. Oregon State's not going to go away. Um, so I think it's going to be another another cutthroat conference season next year. And I think I think what could be the difference... What could decide the conference next year is which one of these top level teams can actually field a, a a good defense next year, right? I mean, Oregon, Washington, USC, Utah all had really strong offenses and mediocre to downright awful defenses. And and I think whichever one of those teams can retool their defense is going to be the one that maybe gives themselves an advantage because all the offenses are going to be strong again. I would, yeah, I would parlay kind of a combination of what you guys said. So there's there's three things that are true in recruiting. The first one is it's never as good or as bad as it seems. And I, I know that it's kind of a, we're, Oregon's in a delicate position right now where it seems like the sky is falling and everything is really bad uh, because you just lost a, a, your, your quarterback commit that's been committed for six months. He's a five-star guy who, again, had a lot of promise. Um, and you're also losing a four-star corner commit. But you're also looking at a very small shrapnel of the, of the picture when you're when you're a fan no matter how committed you are to following on um on twitter on scoop duck and, and other message boards like that you you are privy to such a small fraction of the information i think that um, there will be some stuff here that that we'll be able to talk about more and expand upon more after signing day and our in our in our post signing day 
um, episode that will, I think, kind of regulate people's expectations a little bit more um, and make people realize that, like, yeah, it's it's an emotional roller coaster. That's recruiting. You got to have stones to follow this because it, it, I've done this long enough. I know Justin has too. Justin's been doing this for 15 plus years. I've been following it for at least 13 years. Um, and like, especially when you're you're new to the recruiting game, it can be an emotional roller coaster. It can feel like you're going to get everybody one day and you're getting nobody the next day. The truth lies somewhere in the middle more times than not. Um, there are times where obviously classes collapse and um, you cl- classes come together perfectly and guys get everybody. But more times than not, the mean is somewhere in the middle. Um, and I think that Oregon's going to have a really successful day on Wednesday. I think they have done a really good job with a lot of prospects that, that we haven't really discussed as much because we've been focusing more on the negative during this episode. Um, and it's important to keep that in mind um, and to keep that perspective on those bad days and on those good days that it's, it's, it's probably not going as good as it looks. Um, and it's probably not going as bad because you just have such a small, you have such a small porthole into the totality of the recruiting um, efforts by the university of Oregon and its staff. And then also kind of parlaying off of what you guys were talking about in regards to landing. Um, I think that last year is as bad as his defense is ever going to be. Like I don't if 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 Dan Lanning fields a worse defense than what he fielded this year in coming years, I don't think he's going to be the head coach at Oregon very much longer, right? Like that that would be a completely inexcusable place to be. So, um and and just the their actions in the portal on the recruiting trail, um the way that the way that the roster is being turned over right now, it there was clearly there was clearly some things that needed to change. Um, and those actions are being taken. And so I think it's always important to evaluate the actions of the coaching staff. There isn't desperation offers going out right now for Oregon. Oregon's not offering guys that we hadn't heard of who have G5 offer lists. Oregon isn't out taking transfer commitments from guys that weren't major contributors at other programs or guys with substantial upside and talent. Um, Oregon's not acting like a team that's desperate, like a team that's like, has a a massive broader cultural issue with all these guys leaving. Like none of the guys that are leaving were really heavy contributors. Or like well, I, Doug and I have done the math here in recent in recent weeks. Oregon has lost less than ten percent of its total snaps taken to the transfer portal, despite losing twenty five plus guys. So these guys are being told to leave. I mean, in a lot of cases they are, and it's a situation where you have eighty five total total scholarships. Oregon now sits with with the losses of. Moore and Presley, it's going to sit at about 83 for two days. And then they're going to add more guys, and then they're going to go into the portal, and they're going to add more guys. And there's going to be additional attrition that needs to take place in order to get this roster to where this staff, um, headed by Dan Lanning and Marshall Malco, need to get this roster to so that they can go have the success on the field they want to have. So um, I think that the overall trend line for the program is is very positive. Um, and there's going to be some negative data points that pop up throughout because very rarely in life or especially in, in, in college football program building and recruiting when it's such a competitive dog-eat-dog world, does every data point go your way um, every single year? And so it, the ability to pivot, to adjust, to find soft landings in, in the transfer portal or the recruiting trail when something does go against you and you do lose a big-time prospect – that's what is going to decide the success or failure of the staff um, in, in in concurrence with the guys that they're they're able to bring in and secure that were really high priority targets uh, specifically along on the defensive side of the ball where Oregon needs to get a lot better. Well, and 
and uh, you know maybe this final thing for me but uh, let's be real about something you guys both wear this but let's be real it takes not only does it take uh, a really good football team um, on offense and defense to win a national championship you need a lot of luck too okay there's going to be some bounces or calls that go your way in games that are tight uh, you're not going to steamroll everybody 49 to zero on way to you know a a 12 13 and 0 season whatever the case might be you're going to have games where you need some luck and it has to go your way whether it's it's a call whether it's a you know uh, holding uh Stanford's tight end out of the back of the end zone from scoring a touchdown just all these things that need to go your way in the course of a season that it's if you're Oregon it's you know the 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 likelihood is low if you're We lost you, Justin. Okay, wasn't just me. <laughs> oh, sorry, my bad. But even Kirby, Kirby Smart and Nick Saban will sit there and tell you, "Hey, look, we won because we had superior players and we had a little bit of luck too." And and that's, uh, I mean, that's just real about college football. So, and that's going to be something that Dan Lanning's also going to need. Um, you know, should he make a run at a college football playoff and championship as well. I mean, winning winning at the level that Oregon is trying to win at is hard, right? It's hard for anybody in the country, um, no matter you know, no matter what school you're at. I mean, it's certainly it's not easy for Georgia, it's not easy for Alabama. It seems that way, uh, and but it's it's not easy for anybody, and it's and it's certainly harder, you know, when you're a place like Oregon where you don't have a lot of the natural, you know, geographical advantages and, and location and talent and everything. But you know, I I think. You know, with with the Dante Moore flip and and then the way the the season ended with those losses to Washington and Oregon State is got everyone down. But I think when you, as you both have said, when you step back and take a, a a bigger picture at the trend line, I'm still very bullish on Dan Lanning, Oregon, the Oregon program, and where this trend line is going to go. Look, yeah, I mean, it may it may be that we didn't we didn't land David Hicks and and we don't know yet. Um, you know, Proctor and. And Dante Moore flipped at the last minute, right? So, but we were in what five recruitments for top fifteen players in the last week of the season. Like, it's big game hunting, and yeah, you're not going to land all of those. I don't care who you are, uh, but the fact that we're we're seriously in the we're not just a hat on the table in those commitments. We are seriously in those commitments and and, and landing some of them, you know, in the final week of the season, and and that's there's going to be misses in that territory. I mean, we can sit here and, and sign a bunch of like guys that look great on paper or or undervalued three stars and and not have all the stress and disappointment on signing day, but I don't think that's going to take us where we need to be as a program. So, you know, it's just part of recruiting. You got to roll with it, and and I'm really excited about where this program is. And I think QB, you're right. I think there's no way our defense is ever going to be that bad again, or 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 we got a homeless coaching staff and all a much bigger problems to worry about. So. I'm not going to worry about it. I think it was an evaluation year for a lot of players, and and clearly the staff saw what they wanted to see and needed to see, and now we see, you know, we're going to have 35 to 40 new players next year. So that that tells me the staff is being proactive and making the necessary steps to get better. But it's it's not going to be exclusively on defense, but a lot of the transfers you're going to see even Oregon are, are defensive guys. I, I think it's clear that Dan Lanning has got a vision there. Um, you know, there's going to be some guys that don't fit what they're trying to do. Uh, and the only way to get better is to get better players. And, and that seems 
that tells me, along with probably you guys, that he recognizes the defense isn't you know where it needed to be. Uh, the defense was largely the reason they lost any games this season. And uh, you know, like like QB said, he pointed out earlier. Like, I mean, Dan Lanning's not going to be here for a long time if we keep playing defense like that. So um, you got to have trust there. It's going to take time. It's not something you could fix overnight. But uh, it it certainly looks just from the decisions he's making on the outside looking in that Dan Lanning is very well aware of what needs to be fixed. Um, you know, he's kind of. Uh, you know, he's got enough humility to recognize that and make the necessary adjustments. And, and we can, we're not going to sit here and badmouth Mario Cristobal, but one of the things that was most frustrating to him was the fact that he really wouldn't change course on many of the things that he believed in. And that's fine. It's his decision. It at least looks like Dan Lanning's prepared to do that, which is somewhat refreshing. Yeah, I agree. I don't know. It's, it's, again, it's, the the emotions of following recruiting in college football, especially for people who aren't as seasoned, and I don't mean that disrespectfully, but it's one of those things where once you've been in the trenches for a while, you you don't get as high, you don't get as low, um, and you and you realize that the truth lies somewhere in the middle. And I think that um, this last week, I think, uh, has been kind of a a microcosm of that with the highs of all the potential visits of the Johnny Bowens and David Hicks and Caden Proctor sagas with the lows of the Dante Moore and Caleb Presley's to um, now what is looking to be a pretty strong finish on, on national signing day. So uh, we will be back on Wednesday to discuss national signing day, go over all of the players in the class, um, talk about any new additions, any of the um, drama that unfolds over the course of the day. Uh, so make sure to follow everybody. Um, follow Justin on Twitter at Justin Hopkins SD. Uh, follow myself at QB11SD, follow Doug at DouglasTS, and follow the show at QB11Show on Twitter. Um, we will be here to cover it all, go through everything in a little bit more detail on Wednesday, and enjoy the ride because it's uh, the, the lows and the highs can both be fun if you learn to appreciate them. So uh, we will be back on Wednesday. Have a great week, everybody.